we started a series last week, and we're calling it God is Good, He's Far Better Than You Think. And we're, we're going to spend some time in this, and we're going to look at Jesus, and we're going to look at a lot of things. But for the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at, at how we think, okay? How many of you ever heard, been told you had stinking thinking? You ever heard that? Okay, when you have stinking thinking, everything else in life stinks. Now, we have, we have sung, we have praised God, we have made declarations, but the reality of it is, sometimes what we say is not what we think. Amen? Now, I may only be preaching, listen to me this morning, I may only be preaching to one or two people this morning, and I realize that, but I want you to hear me. I'm not preaching at you. God loves you enough that he, he wants to show you how much He loves you. So if, if middle ways through this sermon you're thinking, man, where is He going? Why is He talking about this? I'm probably not preaching to you, all right? So it's okay. Just relax and chill out. But as we were singing the whole time, I'm thinking, God, I think I've missed you today. And then, and then Billy just shared, and I thought, okay, God, maybe I didn't miss you. And so we're going to look today at, 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 at stinking thinking because stinking thinking ruins our understanding of the goodness of God. It really does. Too many people in the church, when they hear God is good, they have been trying to say all the time and all the time, but they're not, they don't seem to be experienced in their life. A.W. Tozer, I don't know if any of you have ever heard of A.W. Tozer, but if you don't know who he is, you need to Google him and you need to buy one of his books. He, he, he was a, a, an alliance pastor in the, in the 20th century. He, he was a prophetic man. He, when he, he's one of those guys, you read a sentence he wrote and it just, it's like, it's like hearing Moses speak or something. He, he just, he's an awesome guy. He made this statement. He said, what comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What we think about someone or something is our mindset. Uh, it, it, right or wrong, it's our mindset. And a mindset is an established set of attitudes. In other words, what we think about God determines what we believe. And it in turn then determines the rest of the attitudes we have, which in turn determines our behavior, which ultimately determines who or what we become. The writer of Proverbs in, in, in Proverbs 23, 7, and, and I'm going to quote this out of the King James, as a man or a woman thinks in their heart, so they are. So he is, so she is. What we think in here is who we are. It's what guides us. I don't care what comes out here. It's what's in here. So what you think about God is your theology. Theology comes from two words. It comes from two Greek words. Theos, which is God. And logia, or, or logos, which means uh, reasonings, or utterances, or words, or sayings. It's, it's, it's our reasoning about God. It, literally, theology is thinking about God. And it's not something that's just taught pastors in seminary and in Bible college. All of us have theologies. 
All of us uh, have a theology because it's what you or I believe. It's what we think about God's character. It's what we think about His nature. And every person, whether they're born again or not born again, has a theology. The atheist has a theology. He may tell you he doesn't, but he does. The non-believer has a theology. And even believers, we all have a theology. So what we think about God is extremely important. Our theology may be right. It may be wrong. But it's very, very important because that's what we tend to live out. It's what we really think. Very often it's what kind of comes out when we're put under pressure or we're in a tough moment. It's, it's what we share with others unknowingly. It's how we represent, or let me, let me use that word. The word represent means to re-present. Re, it's how we re-present God. It's how we show others what God looks like, how God acts, what God thinks, what the heart of God is. It's how we represent Him. Our theology, your theology, my theology is ultimately the testimony that we declare when there's nobody else around. When it's just me and God, when it's just you and God, when you're by yourself, your theology is who you are because it's what you think. And listen, if your thinking is wrong, it's stinking thinking, okay? And if it's stinking thinking, it it ultimately taints the truth of God's goodness. We may say God is good all the time, and all the time God is good, but we may not be truly believing that. So when you think about God this morning, what what pops into your mind? What if, now I'm not going to do this so everybody relax, but what if you had to stand up this morning and say exactly what came into your mind. You, you, couldn't, you couldn't wiggle a little bit. You couldn't, uh, you couldn't reword it. You couldn't, here's a, here's a big word in our culture right now, you couldn't redact it. Okay, you couldn't, you couldn't color it up a little bit. You couldn't rephrase it. What if you had to say what immediately popped into your mind? What if you didn't have a muffler on your mouth and it just went through your mind and came out your mouth? I know some people like that. Okay? But most of us, we've got, a, we've got a little bit of a muffler on us. But what if you didn't have one? What if, 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 if you couldn't clean it up? You couldn't camouflage it in Christianese. Y'all know what Christianese is, don't you? That's what church people speak. It's a, it's a language all unto ourselves. But what if, you, what if you couldn't camouflage it with Christianese? What, what if, if you couldn't dab a little glory hallelujah or hair gel on it or praise the Lord lipstick on it and dress it up? What if, what if what came to your mind came out of your mouth and it truly revealed what you thought about God? Now remember this. What we think is who we are. You can tell me all the promises that are here, but if I heard a pastor say this this morning, but if they haven't become reality in your life, you haven't applied them, it's just words. It's just words. Too many believers, if pushed 
to these kind of limits. They might struggle to believe that God is good all the time. And all the time God's good. Even if the scripture declares it over and over and over. And even if that scripture invites us to experience. You see, it just doesn't call us to know it in our minds. It invites us to experience. There's a, there's a passage in Psalms. It's Psalms 34 8. God says, taste and see. In other words, experience and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man, how blessed is the woman who takes refuge in him. God never intended for us to choose rational knowledge and intellect over our experience. But he didn't also cause us to choose experience over our rational intellect. All right, He created both. They bring a balance. If you're all experience, you'll be out of bounds. And if you're all rational and intellect, you'll be out of bounds. Somewhere in the middle is where intellect and rational thinking and emotion and experience all come together. And that balances us. Both are necessary. It's not either or. It's both and. Both are necessary to bring us to genuine, life-changing truth. And when that happens, everything changes. Listen, genuine relationship is experiential. All right? You can't just talk about it. It can't just be theory. It's, It's experiential, but it's also rational. It makes sense. It really does. We were created to think, and we were created to feel. And when either of those things is ignored, or one's given precedence over another, we come up short. We miss God. God's goodness pushes us. Listen to me. It pushes us beyond our ability to understand. All right. As we were singing, as as some of these uh, folks were sharing, as Becky shared, that that's beyond my ability to understand. I have worked all my life. Okay. Nobody gives you everything for less. It just uh, that's just God. It, it's it's beyond experience. I mean, it's beyond uh, the ability to think through it. God, listen, is better than we think. He's far better. But to embrace that goodness, we have to engage our hearts, not just our minds. We have to engage both of them because our heart will take us places that blow our minds. All right? When, when, when God begins to pour out His goodness and you really get hold, it will blow your mind. It will be more than your mind can, can handle. But you know what? Your heart was made to experience it. And it's, it's like a sponge. But to get there, we sometimes have to deal with messed up theologies. And we're going to do that over the next couple of weeks. We're going to deal with one today that, that, uh, that, helps us, that helps us develop theologies. We'll talk about a couple of more over the weeks. And then once we get through and, and kind of deal with the stinking thinking, we're going to look at the goodness of God and what Scripture says. And, and, and we're going to look specifically at Jesus. Because when, when you look at Jesus, you are looking at perfect theology. All right? Jesus manifests the theology of God. He is truly 
God in the flesh. Therefore, everything Jesus does, everything Jesus says, everything, every action He makes, every encounter with people, it's God encountering people. And it's how we're supposed to respond. It's how, how we are, are, are supposed to, 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 to illustrate our lives as well. He gave us an example. We, we don't have to postulate and come up with theories and hypotheses on, on how God thinks about this or what would God do in this situation. We have Jesus. He walked it out, put it in the flesh. But, but for us to receive that and to see that, we have to deal with the garbage that's collected in our minds that we call theology sometimes. How many of you realize that a teeny, teeny, tiny lie wrapped in volumes of truth is still a lie? Right? It, it, it always creates doubt. It always uh, brings uncertainty. And so God wants to purge the lie that we've been told that he's not really as good as he says he is. That's exactly what Satan told Adam and Eve. Did God really say that? In other words, is he really as good as you act like he is? So we're going to look at some of uh, of the theologies that, that mess us up. And there are a lot of reasons, so we're just going to dive in. We're going to look at one. The first one that, 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 that we're going to look at today has to do with our own personal experience of God. And listen, like I said, I may not be talking but to one or two people this morning. And, and I'm not talking to you. God is. Okay? Because I believe God gave me this. And I believe God wants to set some individuals free. I want you to realize that God loves the one sheep. That's that's out. He may be, or she may be in the body, and she may be every here every week, and she may, or he may participate, but they're they're out in what they believe because they've gotten lost. Something's happening. We're going to talk about the theologies that we create today that are connected to tragedy and disaster and loss. Okay, how many of you have experienced tragedy and loss? Maybe disaster. It's pretty much all of us. None of us are immune to it. Maybe, maybe you've had someone that you loved die through tragic means or, or through a prolonged illness. Or maybe you've experienced a terrible loss like, like you've lost your home or, your, or, 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 or a marriage or, or your health or your job or your ability to take care of your basic needs has been severely impacted. Maybe, maybe it's, it's just, you know, things didn't turn out like I planned. And here I am. And you've believed, and you've prayed, and you've prayed, and you've prayed, and you've claimed biblical promises, and you've done everything you need to do that you know to do, but nothing has changed. And it seems like the heavens above your brass. Your prayer seemed to not be answered. And it seems like God's not listening. It seems like God, maybe He's even ignoring your prayers. Maybe He's turned a deaf ear. Maybe that's the way you feel. Maybe you feel like God is a million miles away. And when you need Him most, when you needed Him most, He wasn't there. He didn't come through. That's what it felt like to you. 
And, and, and maybe deep down inside, you would never say this out loud, but this is, is, is what you continue to hear deep inside you. God let me down. And your question is, is why me? Why this? Why now? God, where are you? And why are you doing this to me? You know what, maybe, maybe, maybe that's, that's where you're at. And, and maybe over time your heart has descended gradually. Uh, maybe spiraled through some different stages. Maybe, maybe there was utter shock and dismay and denial at the beginning. And that denial and that shock and that dismay, it turned into disappointment. And then it turned into to discouragement. And then it turned into frustration. And then you got mad. It's okay. It happens, okay? When you get frustrated and things don't turn out like you're supposed to, like you think they're supposed to, or I think they're supposed to, we tend to get angry. And that anger then, if it's not dealt with, turns into a coldness and a hardness. And ultimately, it turns into unbelief, okay? I'm not saying you don't believe there's a Jesus or there's a God. You just don't believe God does what He promises because He didn't do it for me. God's let me down. He didn't come through when I needed him most. I made a deal with God, and he let down his end of the bargain. I want to say this in a gentle, kind way. Nobody makes deals with God. Okay? God is a covenant-keeping God. There are two words in the New Testament for covenant. One is where they bargain out and come to an agreement. The other one is when the deal is given, and that's the way it is. By the way, whenever God makes a covenant, it's not the first one. It's the second one. So God doesn't make deals. All right? God lays out the requirements. He doesn't have to make a deal. You don't have anything to offer. Okay, I mean, I'm, I'm not being ugly here. I'm just saying we don't have anything to offer a God who's omnipotent, who's omniscient, who created me. A clay pot, I can make a clay pot, but it has nothing to give me back. Folks, that's where we're at. So they're, 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 the reality of it is, it felt like God let you down. And, and you may have made a deal with him. But he didn't make a deal with you. Well, well I, let, me, let, me, let me rephrase that. Maybe if you look back 2,000 years and you look at the cross, you'll see the deal he made. It doesn't change. It doesn't change regardless of what situation or circumstance I go through because that deal is enough to take care of everything else. But I got to get my head right. I got to get my heart right. Things don't go like we plan. Things don't go like I think. Or like I thought they would go. How many of you struggle with that? I do. I have grandiose ideas of how things are going to go. They never go that way. Ever. You would think after... This many years, a long time, I would realize that. But I don't. They didn't go like, let me just say it, they didn't go like I wanted them to go. And I think there's some folks in here this morning that are right to here. And you know what? My experience says he's not as good as he claims. 
He's not as good as the Bible claims. He's not as good as everybody else claims. He didn't come through for me, so why should I trust him when things get tight again? In fact, I'm having a hard time believing that he even exists. Like I said, some of you may think you're wasting a lot of time here, Nelson. Well, the reality is some of you are stuck right here. You're stuck in a moment of time in your last in your life. That moment of time may have happened yesterday. It may have happened five years ago. It may have happened 45 years ago. But you're hung right there. That was your experience somewhere along in your walk of faith, and you have not recovered from it. You're still right there, even though a great deal of time may have passed. And you know what? Let's just admit it. You're mad at God. And yet, you know what? You're still going through the outward motions of serving Him. But you don't have any understanding. As my daddy would say, you don't have any inkling whatever that means, any inkling of an inward relationship. You're you're going through the checks because I know God says I've got to do this. But there's no hunger, no desire, no love deep down in that place. There's just disappointment. And you're doing what you think is acceptable. But in your heart, you're mad. You say, Nelson, I don't know anybody like that. Well, you just haven't talked to enough people. Okay, I used to talk to them almost every day because that's where most people are at that have been hurt. They're mad. They're angry. They're they're despondent. They're dejected. They feel you know they feel re- re- rejected because God didn't come through, and they're still dealing with that moment. It, I, it, uh, I don't watch him on TV very often, but every once in a while he says something good. And I heard him say this. Doctor, you don't know who Dr. Phil is? Okay. I'm not, I'm not okaying Dr. Phil. I'm not speaking against him. I'm just saying he said this and it's very true. It's time does not change anything. You know, we've always been, we've always heard give it enough time and you'll heal. Well, time doesn't heal anything. It's what you do with the time. Okay. It's what you do with the time. And, and some, maybe somebody in this room has spent a long time and, and, and you're still as raw and as wounded as you were the day this happened. And you've barricaded yourself in the center of this fortress that has walls 100 feet high and you've kind of locked God out. You're existing, but you're not living. You're going through the motions, but you're not accomplishing much. You're, you're checking the boxes of religion, but there's no life there. There's, there's, there's no, there's no uh, uh, excitement there. It's just motions. Now listen, I don't, and I want you to hear me, okay? I don't want to treat what happened in your life without compassion, or lightly. I'm not, I'm not saying it did not matter. I don't want to diminish it. It happened and it was real, okay? And it, it happened to you or it happened to somebody you love. And I'm not saying it was their fault or your fault or anybody's fault. And what happened, it was tragic and it was devastating and it was life-changing and it changed the way you think. But it has not changed who God is and it has not changed the way He thinks and it will not change His character and His nature. Okay? That's the truth. 
Too many people believe God can do whatever he wants or chooses to do. I hear that all the time. Well, God can do anything he wants to. Well, he cannot. There's a lot of things God can't do. Most of them are because he won't do. All right? He won't do something that is in opposition to his character or his nature. We're not talking, when we talk about the goodness of God, we're not talking about something he does. We're talking about who he is. Therefore, he cannot do anything that goes against the goodness of his nature. He cannot be anything other than who he is. And the Bible says over and over and over, he is good. He is good. He's not capricious. He's not moody. He, he's not, he's, he, he doesn't operate with partiality. He doesn't choose one today and choose another one tomorrow. He, he's not that way. He's not uncaring. He's not mean. I know some mean people. Okay? I can be a mean person. I really can. You probably can too. God's not mean. And he, listen to me, he's not spoiled. He's not spoiled. He acts for the benefit of his creation. And he acts a certain way because that's who he is. He is good. In fact, he wants to heal the wound that you've experienced. He, he, he's not afraid of your anger. Sometimes we think of, oh, oh, oh. I tell people, I say, hey, pray like you feel. Well, I'm mad as, I said, well, pray that way. Well, I'm afraid God will strike me down. Well, why is he not striking you down now? You, you know what I'm saying? We, we think these crazy religious ways. When, you're, when, you're, when your heart's broke, you pray brokenhearted. When you're angry, you pray angry. When you're frustrated, you pray frustrated. Read the Psalms. Oh, God, break their teeth out. But what happens as you pray that way, the Spirit of God works in you. And He diffuses the anger. He takes away the frustration. And then as, you, as you read through those Psalms, you find the writer change. And, and there's a change in his life. You see, God just says, hey, come to me. Tell me how you feel. I already know it. It's not a secret. So God's not afraid of your anger. He wants to replace it with genuine love. He's, he doesn't fear our questions. But now listen to me, okay? He may not answer your question. And He may not answer it like you want it answered. And when you get the answer, it may be not be what you want to hear. Do, do, you, do you understand what I'm saying? Have you ever kept after somebody and kept after somebody until they finally told you what they thought? And boy, you wish you'd never ask them. Okay? Just keep in mind, God's going to tell you the truth if He, if he gives you an answer. So it, it may not be what we, we want to hear. And, and, and the reason is God does not lie. This won't be on the screen, but, but there's a passage in, in Numbers 23, 19 where a pagan prophet, a, a fortune teller, Balaam, says this. He says, he says, God is not a man 
that he should lie, nor a son of man, that he should repent, which means to change his mind, or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? Okay, this is a guy that ends up getting destroyed because he leads the people of Israel into paganism and and idolatry and, and sexual deviation. Okay? But he knows the truth. Titus Paul starts his letter out to Titus and says, God, who cannot lie. I love this passage in Isaiah. This is a verse that when I don't understand things, when I can't make sense of things, it's a verse I remind myself of. It's in Isaiah 55, verse 8 through 9. God says this. I'm quoting. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Hmm. Interesting. That's what I say. Thank you. (laughs) My thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways your ways. Or your ways my ways. In other words, I don't act like you. I don't think like you think. And then he he gives us a comparison of how far apart the way we think and the way he thinks is. He says, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, how far do the heavens go? Well, we hadn't figured that out yet. Now, they do have an end, okay? But we just, we don't have the ability to comprehend the end of it because it's created, right? Okay. So he says, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. You know what? That is a great verse to wrap your, yourself around because what God's saying is you're not always going to know the answer. you just got to trust me. Because I really am good. And when you begin to trust me, you'll see it. Listen, if you're angry this morning at God, you're mad at the wrong person. Okay? You're mad at the wrong person. God does not kill. God does not steal. He does not destroy. That is not His domain. That is the domain and the description of somebody else. And His name is Satan. How do you know that, Nelson? Because Jesus said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He didn't say God comes to kill, steal, or destroy. He says the thief does. Death. Disease, disasters are the calling cards, I believe, of the enemy of our soul. But he loves it when we get his work mixed up with God's work. Okay, he loves it. He, he gets a foot in the door. And whenever he gets a foot in his door, as a, as a man once told me one time, he says, Nelson, don't, if the de- you see the devil hitchhiking, don't ever pick him up. He doesn't want to ride, he wants to drive. I don't know why stuff like that stick with me, but they do, okay? I can't remember what I'm supposed to get on the grocery list of two things, but I can remember stuff like that, okay? I got to write it down, but I don't have to write that down. I heard that one time. It's never left me. But death and disease and, 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 and disaster, they're the calling cards of the enemy of our soul, and, and I may not be able, listen, this morning, I'm going to tell you, I don't have all the explanations. I can't answer all the why questions about what happened to you specifically. But I can, based on the truth of this word, on the veracity of the scriptures, assure you that if it was bad, God is not the author. 
I'm going to say that again. If it was bad, God is not the author. Now, how can you say that? Because James 1.17 says this, Every good thing bestowed, and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no not variation or no variation or shifting shadow. Every means every. If it was good and it was perfect, it came from God. Now, here's what we don't realize sometimes. When we read a statement like that, the opposite is true also. If we just, if we just make that say the opposite, this is what it would sound like. Every bad thing encountered and every imperfect gift is from below. Sent by the deceiver of darkness in whom there is endless variations and continual shadows. That's reality. If it's good, it came from God. If it's bad, it didn't come from God. It came from somewhere else. Now, I know all the theological gargon and and there's a word floating in my head that I don't need to get on tape, so I'm staying away from it. But, but I know all that stuff that argues this and ultimately that. Listen, the Bible says God is good. And if He is good, He is not bad. And He is not evil. But many of us have allowed our circumstances and, and our, our condition to shape who God is. In other words, what's happened to us has painted a picture, an image of God, rather than allowing God to shape our circumstances and our conditions. We have formed a God, a little G God, out of pain and misery and disappointment and out of anger. And this God doesn't care. And He doesn't come through. And you know what? He may not even exist. But you know what? We can't allow our experiences to define our understanding of who God is. All of us have bad experiences. I mean, is there anybody in here that's never had one? Nobody. I can't let my my past dictate who God is. God's given us revelation to show us who He is. Experiences that others have gone through that that prove it out. He's clearly revealed Himself, not just in the Old Testament, not just in the New Testament, but progressively. And we're going to talk about this in a little bit because a lot of people have a a picture of God who's, who's an Old Testament God at Mount Sinai. God progressively revealed who He is. He didn't do it all at once. He did it little by little by little until ultimately He reveals Himself fully, completely. Pulls back the curtain. Steps into the dressing room so you can see God as He is in Jesus Christ. But lots of people draw their their picture of how God acts and and who God is is from way back in the Old Testament instead of in Jesus. And let me just tell you, that's another one for another day, but that's a skewed view of who God is. And I can take this verse and I can show you, and I can take this verse and I can show you, and I can take this verse and show you. Well, take Jesus and show me then. People go, well, what about Job? What about Job? I I learned from Job, but I don't. I didn't give my life to Job. I gave my life to Jesus. And Jesus is the one I'm going to follow. 
See, Job didn't have the benefits we have. Job didn't have chapter 1 and chapter 2 to tell him what was going on. All he had was the, the storm showed up, blew his kids away. All the lightning hit here, the lightning hit there. And now he's sitting on a pile of ashes with a piece of, of pottery scraping blisters. and I don't know what all they are, but that's all he's got. And too often we miss this. In all of that, Job does not speak badly against God. He just asks questions. He just maintains his righteousness. He just holds on to what he knew he was supposed to do. It was his friends that accused him, well, you must have done something bad, and God's getting you for it. Listen, God got Jesus for everything we've done. Either he did or he didn't. If he didn't, then we don't have any chance of salvation, all right? Scripture says God poured out all his wrath on the Son. He's not mad anymore, folks. He's good. He's good. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2 and 3 says this. I've been trying to say this the last two minutes. In these last days, God has spoken to us in his Son. And then it says this, He is the radiance of His glory. And don't miss this, the exact representation of His nature. He is His nature in, 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 in living color, 3D, 5G, 100G, whatever it's called. He, he, is, he is the exact representation of God's nature. And He upholds all things by the word of his power. The, the apostle John tells us that no man has seen God at any time. The only begotten of God, Jesus Christ, who is in the bosom of the Father. He has explained him. He has, he has unveiled God to us. In other words, if you and I are having an issue with God based on the way he acts, we need to make sure the actions we're blaming him for match up with the actions of Jesus Christ. Otherwise, God didn't do it. The devil did it. All right? That, it, theology is very simple. It, it's not real complex. If it's not God, then it has to be the enemy. All right? That, that's the only two options we have. So our theology, our way of thinking about God, Very often is a theology that only embraces the way you feel or I feel based on our experience. And when that happens, it leads us into a dead end. It leads us into a lie. Our experiences have to rise to the level of the revelation of God. Otherwise, life overwhelms us. Frustration overwhelms us. Anger overwhelms us. And you know what happens? We drown in the black water of misery. You ever met somebody that was miserable? And it just dripped off of them? Man, I have had the privilege of counseling a couple of people like that. And i got to be honest with you. I didn't look forward to them ever coming back. In fact, one of them I told my, my administrative assistant, don't ever put their name down on my list again. The other one did come back. 
I wondered why, and I dreaded seeing that person all morning. But then they walked in, and they looked totally different. All of a sudden, they let go of, of all that pain and all that fear, and they began to forgive, and God worked in them. I mean, it, it's like eating persimmons, bathing in vinegar, okay? That's what happens. They just shut down. And, 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 and God, you know, it's, it's God, it's God, it's God. Our experience has to rise to the level of the revelation God has given us. If we believe lies, and listen, lies that we believe and live out, they kill us. Okay? They kill us. Jesus said this about Satan. You ought to mark this one down. So John chapter 8, verse 44. He was a murderer from the beginning. And does not stand in the truth. Okay, if you don't stand in the truth, what are you? A liar. Because there is no truth in him. If there's no truth in him, then he has to lie, right? Okay. Whenever he speaks the lie, not a lie, the lie. There's a difference there. He doesn't tell the truth. He always lies. The lie. He speaks from his own nature. You hear what Jesus just said? The enemy is a liar even when he quotes Scripture. When he quotes Scripture at the temptation of Jesus, he's pulling a little here and a little here and cobbling them together and throwing them out there. And Jesus, he doesn't buy it. When Jesus quotes Scripture, it's right out of the context. Okay? So listen to me. If somebody comes quoting you Scripture... You need to figure out what context they're using and what's behind it. Everybody that quotes Scripture is not following Jesus. All right? Just, just a word of warning. It says, For he is a liar and the father of lies. Hebrews 6.18 tells it's, it's impossible for God to lie. What does impossible mean? It's not possible. God cannot lie. So the truth is, here's what Psalms 145.9 says. God is good to all. Not just good to a handful. Not just good to those that follow Him. Not to those who just obey Him. He is good to all. God is far better than we think. All means, listen to me, even you. Right where you're at... Even if you're mad or disappointed or discouraged or blaming God for everything bad that's ever happened in your life, God is still good to you. And God can be good to all, including you, because Jesus took the weight of everything bad on His shoulders and drank the misery and the suffering and the pain to the fullest extent. Every drop of it. So that you and I don't have to live in prison cells. You don't have to live in the place you're living at right now. You built that prison. Well, so this happened and that. I know those things happened. I don't diminish those things. But you camped out there. And you refuse to get up. You refuse to see what God's doing. God has been working. He brought you to this place today so that you could hear this truth. Over and over and over, he's knocked on that door. Well, if, if God wanted to set me free, he could do that. That's right. If God had walled you up in that prison, he would. But you built that prison on your own, and you locked the door from the inside. 
God won't kick that door down. You can pray and pray and pray. God, kick this door down, kick this door down, kick this door down. You get calluses on your knees and you can be hoarse from asking it a million times. God will not do that because the key belongs to you. You have to open the door and invite Him to come in. It's so simple. God, I I give up. I've messed up. Come in here and help me. I believed a lie. Boom. He's right there. All you really have to do is just open the door. Listen, God does not cause everything. That's a lie. God's not the author of tragedy or the creator of evil. And if that's what you believe, you have believed a lie. You've, you've, you've believed something that is not true. God does not condemn. God does not shame. He convicts. He convicts. He convicts. Romans chapter 2 verse 4 says, Or do you think lightly of the riches of His kindness and His forbearance and His patience? And all of those things are the results of God's goodness. Not knowing that the kindness, literally the word is is goodness. Literally, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance. It's the goodness of God that brings us to that place where we realize, oh my gosh, I'm wrong. I'm wrong, God. I've been going the wrong direction. And we turn and he's right there. Listen, simply, maybe you're you're in this place and i got to know the answer. i got to know why this happened. Well, I'm going to tell you something. Simply knowing why won't heal you. Okay? And the cold facts of whatever it was won't ever satisfy you. Because knowing and experiencing the why is not knowing and experiencing the who. Facts won't heal you. There's a person, though, that will. And his radical goodness will bring healing and it will bring restoration. And he alone can change the way you think. But you have to entertain his goodness by changing directions. If, if you change directions, the way you think will change. And your theology will change. Remember what A.J.B. Tozer said? He said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. I really believe this morning a handful of people maybe in this room that you want to believe God's good but your experience tells you something else. Okay, You can believe your experience or you can believe the truth. The truth will set you free. That's what Jesus said. The truth will, will, will deal with your experiences. Your experiences won't deal with themselves. Okay? And why won't, won't deal with, with, the answer to why won't deal with your heart issues. It's an, it's an issue of surrender. That's what it is. Wherever you're at. Listen, I'm not diminishing it. Okay? I'm not making light of the pain. I don't know what you've been through. I don't know what's happened. I don't know the hurt that you've experienced. But I do know this. God didn't cause it. Okay? God has a plan for you. It's a plan for good. 
That's what he says in, in Jeremiah 29, 29. I have plans for you, good things for your welfare, not bad things. See, the devil will lie to you. He will lie to you. He will dog you till you take your last breath with a lie. Because if you'll believe a lie, even a little one, you will deny the goodness of who God is. Listen, God is truly good in everything that He does. And when we get hold of that, when we grab hold of that, it will set us free, folks. We will walk in a different place. We, we won't deal with the struggles we deal with now. We'll believe what He promises and we'll start to walk in them. But my theology can't be my experience. My theology has got to be based on who God has revealed Himself to be. It's got to be based on truth. Otherwise, it's a little bitty lie with a lot of truth wrapped around it. For more information on Eagles Wing Church, visit our website at www.eagleswingchurch.org or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Eagles Wing Church. Thanks for listening and have a blessed week.